Amazing to see people coming here, despite of everything, storms, pandemic. It just shows that freedom goes above all else. If you read the ruling, it seems like the court is saying, oh, the judiciary is actually the arbiter of journalistic standards. Why didn't you do this? Why did you do that? That shouldn't be the case. They should simply allow, they should simply uh, apply the law to the facts of the case. and welcome to Pretty Good Podcast, discussions on digital rights with Engage Media. It's already your second episode, Red. Yes, it is. And uh, <laughs> we hope that it got prettier, better than the last one. More no, good. More good. Yeah. <laughs> so we are available yes. in several platforms now. Tell us about that. So our main platform is still engagemedia.org slash podcast. So let me repeat that, engagemedia.org slash podcast. So you'll find on that page not only the audio and video versions of our podcast, but you will also find there a list of resources related to each episode we are going to do. So our last episode, we talked about an overview of digital rights in the Asia Pacific. So you'll find on that page a list of resources related to that if you want to learn more about what we were talking about in the episode. And also on that page, you will see there the subscription links. We are now on Spotify, Google Podcast, and other major podcast platforms. So that's exciting, isn't it? It's very exciting, and we want to make it even more exciting. We want to talk about things that matter to you. So if you have any feedback about the topics that you want to discuss, or if you want to give any comment about what we are doing right now. Like, do you like this thing in the background? Do you want us (laughs) to replace it? Like we are, of course, doing this remote setup. We're addressing, like living the the new normal as most of the world is, all of the world is right now. Anyway, all of that feedback will be This episode will also be very relevant. Uh, In the Philippines, where we are right now, we recently celebrated Independence Day and this uh, discussion is going to be related to that. Tell, tell us more about that, Sarah. The Philippines celebrated its Independence Day on June 12, but ironically, four days later on June 16, a Philippine court convicted Maria Ressa and Reynaldo Santos Jr. of Rappler of cyber libel and what many, not just civil society organizations and journalists in the Philippines and worldwide have, see, have been mentioned as a blow to freedom of expression and press freedom. And just to add context to that, also on Independence Day, many Filipinos gathered in their in spaces around the country to protest the pending anti-terrorism bill. Giving context to these many attacks, the term microaggression is popular nowadays, but maybe I don't know if you would even consider this microaggression anyway, yeah. these it's uh, um, outright aggression. It's <laughs> Pretty much blatant aggression. Or as Maria Ressa put it, it's a thousand cuts. So, you know, cutting slowly democracy. And so on June 12, actually, our technical director, King, was at that protest. And he was able to talk to students, a writer, a singer, and more on why they were there, especially despite COVID-19. Despite the weather that day, it was raining pretty hard. Despite the difficulty of finding transportation, like not all of the usual transportation methods are open to everyone. And even because of the increased presence of the police, even the military, there were checkpoints on the way to UP, which was quite unusual. But there you have it. Like They made it not too easy for demonstrations to happen, but they did. And people came in numbers. For those of you who are listening to this on the audio podcast, just be reminded that there is a video version of this. If you want to see like the scene of that particular demonstration, do check out the video podcast on engagemedia.org slash podcast. They are further weaponizing the law to silence dissent and stifle activism. While 
covering up their own brutality. Today is the Independence Day of the Philippines and the only thing uh, that their bill is waiting for is to tear this signature. The law is targeting um, terrorists. It can easily be interpreted as a way to target critics and dissidents. If you are being deemed suspicious by other people who may possibly report you, whether or not there is evidence, you can be arrested. And there is no need for a warrant. It means that the police personnel can just enter your house anytime and arrest you. It's very, it's very, very similar to martial law. There has been a buildup of anger from the time that the lockdown has been implemented and there's no concrete action on how to um, act on the pandemic to keep the people safe. And the anti-terror bill will have a very big backlash, not only to individuals but especially to artists and filmmakers. The context already is three years of a Duterte government that has been violent. Three years of activists being killed or disappeared. Three years of repression. And without that context, the bill itself seems okay. You know, they'll give you all those places where there are safeguards. They'll give you all those sections where protest isn't disallowed, dissent isn't disallowed. But those sections don't matter if your context already is a very clear sense of how Duterte has dealt with activism, dissent, criticism the past three years. So for today's episode, we have a very special guest who will help shed light and give context to the issue of the cyber libel case against Rappler. And we are joined by John Neri. He is a columnist from the Philippine Daily Inquirer. He is the director for the Asian Center for Journalism and a convener of the Consortium on Democracy and Disinformation. So hi, John. Thank you very much for joining us. And I hope I got all your many hats correct. <laughs> Thank you for having me. And so, John, I want to, could you tell us more about your many hats and particularly your role on the Consortium on Democracy and Disinformation? So I've been a journalist for a long time, uh, but I retired from full-time uh, work at the Inquirer about a year and a half ago. But uh, they allowed me to continue my uh, column, which has been around since 2007. So uh, I continue to write my column every Tuesday. Um, after the Inquirer, I joined uh, my alma mater, Ateneo de Manila University. I am the board chair of the Asian Center for Journalism. Uh, I also teach. Uh, I'm a lecturer in uh, political communication. Uh, in uh, February 2018, uh, I, together with a group of uh, friends who were in journalism and also in the academe, um, decided to hold what we uh, thought was a one-off conference, a conference on democracy and disinformation. We were worried about the effects that we were seeing uh, that uh, orchestrated uh, or organized disinformation campaigns were having on democratic institutions. But we got so much interest from that February 2018 conference that we decided to keep going. We got funding uh, for a first phase and now we got funding for a second phase. Uh, now we are truly a uh, nationwide uh, network. It's a coalition of journalists, uh, academics, and civil society representatives. Um, we're backed by major universities, the uh, University of the Philippines, Ateneo de Manila, De La Salle, uh, Philippines, as well as Holy Angel University, an excellent school in uh, Angeles, Pampanga. And your consortium has been very active recently. So just a few weeks ago, you hosted a discussion on the Facebook Oversight Board. And, and that's I suspect you're going more towards a regional perspective. 
Well, it, it, it's um, it, it it came from uh, uh, some thoughtful consideration uh, because of what's happening now with the pandemic. Uh, everyone, it, there's the, the rush to go online, and we were thinking uh, we can do that. But what exactly can we contribute that is not uh, uh, a common um, in the online space? And one of the things that we realized was that. Sure, we certainly need to focus on democracy and disinformation because that's that's what our advocacy group uh, is about. But we also, if we can, try to bring in an international perspective uh, because we uh, our members have a lot of uh, international connections. And our very first uh, such forum was, as Sarah pointed out, the one uh, a few weeks ago on Facebook's oversight board. Uh, we had the lone Southeast Asian member uh, in our forum, uh, Andy Bayuni uh, of uh, the Jakarta Post with us. Uh, we've had a second uh, forum, uh, this time working with the um, entertainers, artists, creatives of uh, Philippine TV, movies, and, uh, and uh, stage. So we helped them uh, organize a forum on the terror bill uh, because they felt that they were at uh, specific risk of a new crime being defined called inciting to terrorism. So that was not uh, international, but we felt that uh, it was something that was important, that was uh, necessary. And then the third one was uh, just last Monday, uh, on the same day that the court uh, ruled on the cyber libel case against Maria Reza, Ray Santos, and Rappler, we hosted an international forum, which is still available on on Facebook and on YouTube, uh, on the trial of Maria Reza et al. I tend to keep going and going, so just stop me. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. All valuable things that we're hearing from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much for organizing those forums. Like you mentioned, that this very recent one, uh, which we will post a link to that, by the way. Like, check out the description of this video for all of the relevant links that video the replay of that will be on there as well as some columns that you have written about the decision on maria Reza's case and a piece that you wrote even before that so tell us about the mood like you were a group of journalists having this conversation you were waiting for the verdict to happen and then i like the way you described the, the re- response, especially from that one person who said, who can simply say, I feel sick. Like, tell us more about that, John. Yes. Um, first of all, we, we were very uh, grateful to have uh, our friends from overseas join us. We had Peter Greste. Uh, he's a veteran uh, foreign correspondent who spent 400 days in jail in Egypt for uh, doing journalism. And he was charged under uh, an anti-terrorism uh, act. Uh, we also had Anne-Marie Lipinski, the curator or the head of the Neiman Foundation for Journalism uh, in Harvard. We also had uh, Keelan Gallagher. Uh, she's together with Amal Clooney, uh, the co-leader of the international team of lawyers helping Maria. She was calling in from London. And then we had the, the brilliant uh, and longtime human rights uh, lawyer, uh, Chel Jokno, from the Philippines, from the Free Legal Aid, uh, Free Legal Assistance Group. Um, the mood was uh, actually in the beginning. The mood was uh, uh, we, we were, of course, all anxious about how it can go wrong. But I think I will speak for some, uh, if not many, that I thought that it was it would be very difficult for the judge to rule against Maria and Ray. Uh, there is this uh, hundred-year-old tradition in Philippine jurisprudence that. Uh, emphasizes or prioritizes civil liberties uh, when it comes to free speech uh, and freedom of expression cases. Um, If it's a difficult case, the uh, uh, tradition has been rule in favor of the person or persons uh, whose civil liberties are at stake. Um, So I was, though I uh, mentally uh, had factored in the possibility of uh, of a conviction, I was personally surprised. And I think there are many of us also. I think others were 
uh, anticipating it, and yet still, when the verdict came in, it was still a shock. So you could actually sense, if you watch the video of the forum, the mood change. Uh, we were very excited in the beginning to talk about the uh, factual basis and then the uh, consequences of the possible outcomes. But at a certain point, and especially when we asked Peter Greste how he felt, uh, having been a guest of the Egyptian jails uh, previously, about the uh, conviction, and he just said, I feel sick. I mean, I, I, I thought that there was a change of mood uh, in, in, the, uh, in the forum. But I think it's also very important to point out uh, that uh, human rights lawyer Chel Jokno's immediate response was, don't give up. This is a long fight. This is just, uh, we're just somewhere in the beginning. Um, and I thought that was very important uh, as well. Um, speaking of that long fight, do you think this marks a turning point wherein we can say that the trust that um, society, that the citizens, that the institutions have on journalism as that institution is at an all-time low that it emboldens like decisions like this to happen? Like before, we, we were having a sense that all of this fake news and this information, like maybe those were symptoms of a lack of trust in journalism. But now that we can have decisions like unprecedented, like this happen, do you think it marks a turning point? Maybe before I answer that, uh, excellent question. Uh, maybe I can contextualize uh, some of the particulars of the Philippine situation. And I've, I've said this in other uh, international forums. One of the things that uh, distinguishes uh, media organizations like uh, ABS-CBN and GMA Network is that they run some of the country's best-known charities. They have a large uh, presence in philanthropy. When, they, when there are uh, re, um, uh, natural disasters, floods, earthquakes, and so on, they are among the first to respond uh, with relief operations and so on. So there is that kind of goodwill that I think is, uh, if not, uh, while not limited to the Philippines, uh, specific to our situation. Uh, there's a lot of goodwill for media organizations. Even the newspaper I work for, uh, we have a small foundation, but that foundation also gets gets to work when uh, there are natural disasters. So, so that's part of the part of the context. Another part of the context I, that must be understood is. Uh, the biggest entertainment studios in the Philippines are actually run by the, uh, some of the biggest entertainment studios are actually run by the two TV networks, the big ones. Um, so if you, if you had a chance to read a recent Rappler special report on what fandoms did to counter the propaganda against ABS-CBN after ABS-CBN was shut down last month, uh, it's, 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 it's a fascinating read, right? So you have these, uh, Presence in the donor space, presence in uh, fandoms, which means that I, I think that uh, the question of trust for Philippine media is more complicated to answer than in other uh, territories and other countries. Um, you you will you will get a lot of people, I think, who will say, "Oh, I don't trust this uh, ABS-CBN and so on." And yet, when you probe closer, you know, it, they depend on ABS-CBN for their news, as well as their entertainment, uh, you know, showbiz trivia, and so on and so forth. So it's actually a little more complicated uh, than what outsiders might think. Having said all that, sorry, habang, uh, the preamble is so long. But um, I think it's important to note that there are uh, other sources of trust as far as media work is concerned. Is this a turning point? Yes, it's, it could possibly be a turning point, but I don't know if I'm being naively optimistic here, but I, I actually think it could be a turning point upward. Mm. That there are a lot of people now thinking, what is this case about anyway? Right? Uh, Maria is the most famous Filipino journalist outside of the Philippines. But within the Philippines, I, I don't think she's even in the top 50, right? Many, many of the journalists that ordinary Filipinos know are the journalists who report on ABS-CBN and GMA. 
So you would have Karen Davila who would have 3 million followers on Twitter, for example. They would know her, right? But what this case has done, I think, is pushed Maria even more prominently in the Filipino public sphere. So now people are saying, wait, what, what is this again? Right? And I, I really hope that uh, this would provide a, an opportunity for uh, not just media organizations, but uh, civil society organizations, coalitions like our consortium to um, engage in dialogue, talk to, talk to people and say, you know, it, this is not just about uh, Maria Ressa. In fact, we, we purposely chose the title of our forum, The Trial of Maria Ressa et al., uh, not only because there are others involved, but because we are the et al. I think that, that, I think that was the whole point. Uh, what this uh, atrocious uh, ruling does is that it puts everyone who uh, is active on social media at risk for 12 years of cyber libel. And uh, that's, that's just... That's just not acceptable. Mm -hmm. Completely agree. And speaking of that, that was actually what I was going to ask you about the wider implications of the cyber libel case against Raptor. A lot of people and a lot of critics, especially those who want to plant distrust on media, will say, oh, it's a don't make it a press freedom issue. Uh, or they try to contain it as a press freedom issue so that there will be less talk about it amongst civil society organizations but how but is it just a press media issue a press freedom issue so to speak um i think that's a actually that's an astute observation uh, i you can already see some organized pushback against the uh critics of the decision and the pushback can be characterized as uh this has nothing to do with us. This was, in the words of uh, the presidential spokesperson, a case of bad journalism and bad lawyering. I completely disagree with uh, Harry Rocket. Um, in the first place, it is a press freedom issue, but it is not only a press freedom issue. It is a press freedom issue because the right of a news organization to report uh, an article of public interest according to its own journalistic standards is at stake, is now at risk. If you read the ruling, it seems like the court is saying, oh, the judiciary is actually the arbiter of journalistic standards. Why didn't you do this? Why did you do that? That shouldn't be the case. They should simply allow they should sh simply uh, apply the law uh, to the facts of the case. So this is a press freedom issue, and it involves everyone, uh, whether you are for a famous organization like Rappler or for an obscure one in the provinces. However, this is not only a press freedom issue. This is a, a basic uh, human right issue. This is a basic civil liberty issue. Um, we all have the right to... An opinion. We all have the right to give, uh, to express uh, that opinion. What this uh, ruling does is it will have a chilling effect on anyone who would like to go online or on social media to express their views. It is very possible for this government in the Philippines, for instance, to run after every one of us who criticize the decision. Okay. In an, a truly independent uh, court, that kind of case will be thrown out. But imagine the harassment, imagine the difficulty that people who've criticized the decision will face over the next several months. I think that uh, it was uh, Attorney Chel Jokno on our mon in our Monday forum who pointed out that he himself had been charged with inciting to sedition, an old law. And eventually, the charges against him were dismissed. But during those months, I mean, they're un under a cloud. They have to spend for uh, legal defense. You know, they have to go out and uh, uh, defend themselves uh, in public forums. 
the the e- even if even if the final judgment uh, is favorable for civil liberties, the fact that you can be hauled to court, tied up in legal processes for a long time, uh, will already put a chilling effect on many people. And I think that's why it's important to realize that it is also not just a press freedom issue. So I, I completely agree with everything that you said. And I'm actually part of several advocacy groups, and I've heard from activists as well that they are taking this point, the one that you just explained, that is that it's not just a press freedom issue. It's an issue that affects everyone, freedom of speech for every individual. And what worries me, though, about that line of thinking of focusing on this not just being a press freedom issue is the reason that some people are arguing we take this strategy is they have given up on defending journalists to the people. Like they have conceded the ground that citizens no longer trust media that much. So we should make it about the bigger issue because the battle on the front of defending journalists um, is already lost. So what what would you say to, let's say, an advocacy group who's um, asking for your advice on whether this is a a good track to take? Um... I see your point, and it is in, uh, a, a worrying possibility. Uh, I'm still maybe, again, naively optimistic that uh, it is possible for advocates to um, run along parallel tracks. Uh, one track, we need to keep defending the rights of uh, a free press. Uh, that is uh, one of the guaranteed ways that we can find out what's happening in government in the rest of society. Uh, that's the, in fact, that goes all the way back to Rizal. Uh, when Rizal was fighting for reforms uh, back in Spain uh, in the 1880s and 1890s, uh, he only asked for two things. One was representation in the Spanish Cortes. So in other words, a voice, uh, sorry, a, a vote. And he was asking for uh, free freedom of the press back in the Philippines or a voice. So essentially, uh, these were the basic Uh, reforms that uh, our own heroes uh, laid their lives uh, down for. Uh, We need to keep on that track. But at the same time, I think that whether it's the same groups or maybe uh, a a different set of groups, uh, the parallel track, we must also run on the second track of uh, uh, encouraging people to see this as not just a press freedom issue. Uh, It's uh, it's really basic. Uh, And of course, when you talk about the Philippine context now, you, you have to bring in all the other sources of uh, terror, of, of fear, uh, of concern, right? So there's a terror bill, uh, which uh, the um, recently retired Supreme Court Justice Tony Carpi said would be worse than martial law because a martial law declaration is only temporary, while this one will be in the statute books for as long as it, it isn't repealed. Uh, and it, So that's just one. Uh, there, there are so many others, and, you, and if you put the, and, and if you have that context, and then now you have a ruling where the judge very blithely says, "Well, the prescription period for libel is one year, but there is this 1926 law that says, oh, we can compute it as 12 years, and fast forwards 108 years into the future and says this will apply to Maria Ressa and Ray Santos." I mean that's just, and again, if you read the if you read the ruling, she spends like maybe three paragraphs. Just it, it's really just a, as, as if she's not aware that uh, she is uh, uh, going. Uh, she's uh, running against the very specific uh, injunction of the constitution. No ex post facto law, uh, and then uh, a specific uh, law from 1930. That libel is only for, for a year. I'm sorry, yeah. There so many things to to, to discuss, no, no. but uh, maybe those those parallel tracks. Uh, we need to move on those, both. Yeah, no, don't don't worry. Uh, all of what what you're saying is, we I personally agree, and it's difficult, especially when you see what people are saying on social media. And you can even argue that social media has contributed to the perception of journalism as 
you know, the as prostitutes and all that, you know, that kind of stigma and how that is impacting how people want to, especially even advocates, from advocates to ordinary citizens, how it's distancing themselves from the it from the issue and saying I will I would rather focus on my personal space on social media and yet so people want to focus on that and yet that is exactly the kind of space that this issue and this decision is attacking so what do you say to that that um what do you think of that parallel um yeah that parallel and that conundrum considering that and uh, factoring in social media to that yeah. Uh, social media, uh, online and social media, really, uh, they have changed uh, the game, right? I mean, it's. Uh, um, I am still. I am old enough to remember a few years ago uh, that we welcomed uh, this as uh, like a democratization of uh, uh, information channels. Uh, but now uh, the academic uh, consensus is clear that uh, research has shown that, in fact, the promises of uh, the so-called uh, digital optimists have uh, not panned out or have turned out in very different ways. Uh, it, in, in some ways, it is less democratic than before. You just have a few power players, for instance. Having said that, I, uh, and, I, I and I have Facebook in mind here. Uh, I am, of course, like you, completely aware that Facebook has uh, been used as a platform to organize and orchestrate uh, disinformation campaigns, not just in the Philippines. Uh, many people have died in Myanmar uh, because of Facebook. But having said that, I also, I also must... Uh, I, I'm also uh, driven to point out that there are people who look at Facebook as their only channel. Uh, I was in a forum that we organized in Angeles, Pampanga, last, late last year. And there was a question about Facebook and disinformation. And one of our resource persons was a chancellor from the University of, from, from Mindanao State University in Marawi. So she flew in, uh, so she was in Angeles. And she said, uh, I, I completely agree with you. Uh, and we, the people of Marawi, we are so uh, vulnerable to disinformation campaigns. But I also have to tell you, uh, I have a little story to tell. When my daughter was a few years old, we were watching local TV and she said, uh, uh, Mama, are, are we Filipinos? And she was taken aback. I said, why do you ask? I said, because I don't see anyone who looks like us on Philippine TV. And uh, fast forward to today, and she says, and, and I actually met her daughter when I went to Marawi. Her daughter is in college now. And she says, uh, one good thing about Facebook is that it allows us to tell our own narratives. Right? So there is this, there, there, there is in fact still a cause for optimism about social media platforms like Facebook. So you have... Uh, minority Muslim citizens in the Philippines embracing it in spite of all its risks because they can tell their own stories. They see more of themselves there. For them, it is their channel. And it's not just them alone. Um, I, have, I have friends who are very active in fighting against disinformation, and yet they are every day on Facebook. So it, it, it's really complicated, right? It's, it's really complicated. Um, this, this is why the ruling is such a terrible one it it makes it even more complicated no? it, 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 it will probably prevent many people from uh, posting uh, uh, unmediated expressions of their opinion because they feel that you know this might uh, hurt me uh, down the road um, so to, to go back to uh, Sarah's uh, main point about um, Maybe just staying in our, my own uh, filter uh, or my own bubble, um, I think that would be the wrong uh, response to this. I, I can understand why it will, for some people, seem like the logical response. Okay, I'm not going to comment on uh, public issues because this might come back and bite me. I can understand that. 
But at the same time, as advocates, I think we need to to uh, spread the word that that is the exact exactly the wrong thing to do. That we need, in fact, to get out of our filter bubbles, link hands, uh, link arms, um, to to fight uh, these uh, rulings like this. Because this is not, you know, there, there are many other uh, atrocities that. Uh, uh, lie in wait for us. So you talked a bit about the parallel tracks that advocates, that activists can take when they talk about this issue. And also you you started talking about the wrong way to think about it and the right way to think about it. So let's let's move into the realm of action. Like I think what's going on is not right. I am a citizen. What do I do now to support journalists, to support freedom of speech, to support defending the democracy of our country, not only offline, but online or, or wherever? Um, I think that there are many things that we can do. Uh, one one uh, takeaway for me from our Monday forum was that uh, there was, in fact, uh, not only a need for action, but a whole set of actions that we can uh, uh, do. Um, Immediately, I think we should uh, help with the legal defense fund of uh, Rappler. Uh, Rappler is facing not only the cyber libel case, and of course they will uh, appeal this ruling, they're facing, I think, 8 to 11 other cases. And it's obviously part of a, a system of a pattern of harassment against them. Um, so that's one thing that we can do. Uh, but it's not just uh, Rappler. We need to show our support also for... ABS-CBN, uh, which is being subjected to really just uh, an, 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 it's really an embarrassing show that the Congress, Philippine Congress is putting uh, on uh, these days just to uh, hear their uh, uh, bid for a new congressional franchise. Um, so we need to show our support for ABS-CBN uh, as well. Um Beyond that, I think we need to, as Anne-Marie Lipinski said in our forum, subscribe. We need to show our support for media organizations by reading their stuff, sharing their stuff, subscribing to their stuff. Uh, it takes money to, uh, do, to do journalism. I mean, we would all love to do the kinds of uh, journalistic projects that, for instance, the New York Times does, but that requires a lot of money. Uh, and the country's largest newsroom is has been temporarily limited. I'm talking about ABS-CBN because of what's happening. They continue to have their digital channels, their cable channels, uh, and their social media channels. They're the biggest uh, social media players in the Philippines. But their main channel, uh, TV, has been uh, shut off. Um, and of course, that has an impact. So uh, we need to support them. Uh, there are also... I. This has come up because uh, GMA as a network has not come up with a stand, uh, a position uh, on ABS-CBN or uh, Rappler. But I think that's understandable, understandable. But if you look at the social media accounts of GMA reporters, you can see that actually they are out there uh, not just doing their work, but supporting the work of Rappler and, uh, and uh, ABS-CBN. So we need to to show that, I, I, I see that there is this uh, mini trend right now uh, um, calling on or calling out uh, GMA. And I think that's, uh, that's a mistake. I think that uh, for certain reasons, as a corporation, they are uh, maybe constrained from uh, having a, an institutional position. But you can see that uh, the perspectives are shared by uh, their Rack and file, and you can see. And so we can we can share their stuff. We can continue uh, um, subscribing to them. Um, what else can we do? Oh, I think that um, some of us might be able to join hands with others in filing uh, legal uh, challenges to this uh, court ruling, uh, to the anti-terror bill, and uh, other issues. So, for instance, uh, when Rappler reporters filed the case in the Supreme Court, uh, calling into question uh, the presidential palace's 
ban on Rappler reporters from covering uh, the palace, uh, there was a uh, an, an ancillary petition, and I was one of the uh, signers, uh, of other journalists saying, uh, we're with them. So that's another thing that we can do. Uh, we can look for, for uh, um, ways that we can add our voice to these uh, legal challenges. Maybe I'll stop there, but I'm sure there are other uh, action steps we can take. Yeah. Sir, I wanted to talk about action steps that people outside the Philippines could take because while, of course, this is a f- issue happening in the Philippines, I think we can agree that it is not just a Philippine issue and it's not just a decision that could have happened in the Philippines. As, um, in the region and even worldwide, you're seeing that uh, this kind of suppression and censorship of the press, whether it's through legal means or more militaristic authoritarian means, are happening. And so for those who are supportive of that outside of the Philippines, how can they show their support or their solidarity so that perhaps maybe this is a very optimistic view, but in solidarity together, we can have better action in our own countries maybe i'm being too optimistic but in my head there must be something we can people outside the philippines can do right it can't just be filipinos uh yes i actually share your optimism um <laughs> first of all i want to confirm that there has been uh international interest in this so not just our monday forum but after the decision came down i uh fielded an interview with a, a journalist in uh, uh bangkok and then uh, I also had a, an interview on Malaysian TV. And I'm sure I'm not the only Filipino journalist who's been uh, on uh, international uh, media outlets. There is uh, a, a great deal of interest in this. And part of the reason is this government did not realize just how much of an international figure Maria Reza was. So that's that's one of Maria Reza's uh, distinct advantages. And... Um, Ever since they harassed her, I mean, she's been Time Person of the Year. Uh, she's been uh, she's received so many awards. She's been commencement speakers in some of the most prestigious universities, and that all helps put international pressure uh, on the Philippine government. Does that work? Yes. Um, this is a paradox, but this uh, autocratic government is actually very sensitive to public opinion sensitive to local public opinion and to international public opinion. They, they might bluster their way and say, you know, we don't care, but they actually do uh, change tack, even if it's only tactically, uh, not strategically, uh, under public opinion pressure. Um, so that's part of the reason why... Uh, uh, Maria Reza's international connections were a big help uh, because people in this government, officials in this government, uh, sat up and took notice. Um, so even if the judge uh, in the cyber libel case merely uh, and literally just said uh, the uh, friend of the court uh, filing uh, made by UN Special Rapporteur David Kay is noted. Literally, she just said it's noted. Uh, she didn't go into the details. Uh, that's an unusual step uh, for a UN special rapporteur to be uh, uh, recognized in a local uh, trial court. Um, we we had some experience already uh, with the legislation of anti-fake news uh, sanctions uh, in Singapore, who took the lead. Uh, now that they already have a new law against uh, fake news. There was a lot of discussion already in our region uh, among journalists to discuss exactly uh, what can we learn from the Singaporean legislation. There is a pending bill in the Philippine Senate. What can, you know, how can we attack that and so on and so forth. And I'm hoping that even just among the regional journalists, uh, those circuits can uh, start humming again. now this time to talk about uh, cyber libel in the Philippines. It's very good to hear this optimistic outlook that you have about what's happening in the Philippines and in the region. 
And we can talk endlessly. There are so many issues of populism, of dem democratization, and journalism, and all that. But un unfortunately, we have limited time. Um, of all the conversations that you have had so far on this topic, John, what is one thing that you wish were highlighted more? And I'll give that to you as the, the final point that we discuss um, during this podcast. Many people uh, outside of our usual circles are now starting to become aware of our consortium on democracy and disinformation. Because in our position paper issued a few hours after the conviction, we pointed out that the judge did not understand journalism. Uh, and there, we've received a lot of blowback. And officials, I've, I've, I've learned that some government officials have started asking, what is this consortium? Uh, and I'm, I'm starting to see that our position, this is not our first position paper. We've, we've had a joint statement on the shutdown of ABS-CBN before on the harassment of ABS. We've had three, uh, we've had previous paper, uh, put joint statements on Maria Ressa's cases and so on. But this one, I think we've gotten a lot of attention. And why? And this, this would be my point. Uh, it's because we focused on the lack of knowledge of this judge uh, as far as journalism is concerned, if you read through her uh, decision and you're a journalist, you would say, how can this person presume to judge uh, on a matter like this when she doesn't even understand uh, what this is all about? And, 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 and really, just to give one example, um, she criticizes the decision of Rappler when it was founded in 2012 to name their top editor, executive editor, as quote-unquote, a clever ruse to escape liability. Not knowing that there are many newspapers and news organizations that call their top editors executive editors. It's just a name. Uh, and she thought it was a way to get out uh, uh, of liability. And there are many other, uh, what our paper called, there are many other microaggressions against the press. So that's the thing I want to highlight here. Uh, yes, it's important to focus on the wrong interpretation of the law uh, that uh, is evident in the ruling, but it's also important to tell people this judge doesn't understand journalism. Maybe she should Google it first. <laughs> or duck, duck, go. Duck, duck, go it first. Uh. <laughs> John, um, we really appreciate all of your insights and your time for uh, talking to us and telling us about this. We have listed a lot of resources for everyone to read. Hopefully, they get a better understanding of journalism, of democracy, of the law surrounding this issue, and as well as what they can do. So there's an action briefer that we had written so that people can take action on this issue, support freedom of speech, support journalism, and support democracy. Thank you so much, John. My pleasure. Thank you, John. Bye. <laughs> that was a very fruitful conversation, and I wish I could go on. There were so many other things to discuss. I know. What do you think? There were, I know we could have gone on and on, but Red, what was the one thing that John said that really struck you and you think bears repeating? Actually, it wasn't necessarily what he said. Like from the very start, because there were a lot of things that John said that I want to dwell on. But even the name of their group, Consortium on Democracy mm -hmm. and Disinformation. I mean, those two put together in that pair is very interesting to me. Because indeed, it's this democratization of online spaces. Like everybody feels like they have an equal say, equal even to a journalist like John. So someone say who is not a journalist, who is not even aware of what's happening in the world, can think that their opinion matters because they have a lot of friends, because they have a lot of followers, because they, their posts have a lot of likes. And they, they think that, what does a journalist have over me? Why does my opinion matter less? And that leads to the problem of disinformation. So this interplay of populism and disinformation and democratization, and amid this elite journalism and like citizen journalism there's so much that can be unpacked here um, but of course we only have room for one podcast uh, what about you sarah what, what did you take away from that yeah maybe we can talk about populism and journalism 
in a different podcast episode. Something to keep in mind. But for me, I really like when he broadened the scope about how this is not just in two aspects. So not just a it's not just a press freedom issue, but also a freedom of expression issue. And it is not something that journalists are going to experience. The journalists are the example in this case. But this law, the cyber libel law, could a uh, crime could very well apply to anyone out who is not a journalist. And if we don't stand up for that, then we, who knows what will happen? You know the famous quote: "First they came for the journalists. We don't know what happened after that." I think it's a very fitting way to talk, considering what is happening in the Philippines. But on the second front, not just that interplay, uh, not just that broadening of scope between press freedom and freedom of expression, but also between the Philippines and the, as compared to the region and in the world, about how this seems. It would be a disservice to what is happening and to the movement happening now because of this decision to say that, oh, it's just a Philippine issue. This is only happening in the Philippines. And if you are not a Filipino or in the Philippines, it should not matter to you. But I think this is reflective of what is also happening in different countries where spaces for us to be able to freely talk about our opinions online are shrinking and even attacks on the press are also happening Worldwide, And I think that we talked about this optimism and that we that maybe in solidarity together regionally or globally that we will make us stronger and maybe we can together fight this. And I just love that emphasis because that is also something that we want to tackle in this podcast where these issues may just be we, we do highlight issues per country and stay tuned for more on that. But. It's, but you also want to show that these issues are not just happening in these countries. We want, by knowing about what is happening in other countries, we can find solidarity and we can find also examples on how we ourselves can tackle issues in our own respective countries. So it's not just for Filipinos or the Philippines. This is a fight that we can join regardless of whether we are. Yes, the institution of journalism, the right to freedom of expression, these are global issues. And an attack on one is an attack on all. And we should have regional, global solidarity even on these issues. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really had fun discussing this one. And Same there's here. more to talk about. Um, stay tuned next time. Like, Do check out all of the links that we mentioned about this episode. There's an action briefer that we particularly wish that you would check out. Let's all support journalism, freedom of expression, and see you next time. See you next time. Bye.